You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Hello and welcome back to this week's weekly wrap-up here on Sprott Money News. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford, and online with me today, we have Chris Martinson from Peak Prosperity. How are you doing today, Chris? Jeff, I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you for joining us, my friend. We really appreciate talking to us this week. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. So firstly, Chris, we want to talk about the Swiss referendum, which is something on everybody's mind right now. So what are your thoughts on the Swiss referendum? Could this really have a significant effect on gold prices, and, and why? Well, the, the first thought is the vote means that uh, the referendum would pass, and the Swiss National Bank would be, by referendum law, required to keep 20% of its reserves in gold, and uh, a no vote would mean no, they wouldn't be able to do that. The Swiss National Bank has brought out all the guns to really bring to bear on getting a no vote out. People who are on the yes side are reporting that it's becoming increasingly difficult to, to get their views into the media, so the media is helping uh, the, the Swiss National Bank, but let's just say the powers that be have rallied around making sure they get a no vote around this. And, and they'll probably succeed, is, is my guess at this point, because they've, they've really uh, tilted the playing field so heavily. And, and I think they'll do whatever it takes to get the no vote, because a yes vote effectively will take the central bank and will prevent it from taking money from all of the people of the nation, of slowly impoverishing everybody, which is, of course, what central banks seem to do best and most often. The, the, what's going to happen with this, if they do get this vote, uh, the Swiss National Bank will have a 20% tie to gold on its, on its balance sheet that effectively limits its ability to debase its own currency to some extent. And that's what, you know, the cornerstone of financial repression is. You have to create negative real interest rates. You want to weaken your currency and you want to give your people no escape valves. Well, a 20% um, uh, gold holding on the balance sheet is a golden escape chute for the people of Switzerland. It would be great for the people. It would be very good for them. It would prevent them from losing their savings to predatory central bank practices. This is why the central bank is scared, part one. Part two, gosh, you know, uh, we're, we're, it just it seems so difficult for various central banks to get their gold out of New York. It's just a, it's such a big mystery and so hard to do that the amount, 1,500 tons, it's not a lot in the, in the context of the amount of gold that's allegedly sitting in vaults around the world, but I think it would be a huge, uh, a huge amount to have to move uh, from point A to point B for reasons that, that are completely mysterious if you believe what the central banks are saying, which is, wow, look at all the gold we have. Uh, we got lots, uh, but, but uh, that 1,500 tons would absolutely be gold price positive plus the 20% requirement would require uh, Switzerland to buy even more. That's in a very, very tight global market. It would be very gold positive. So likewise, Chris, kind of tying into that theme, um, the Dutch now have followed suit with Germany in the repatriation of their gold reserves. Do you think this is a growing trend? What are the economic ramifications of all this repatriation? Oh, absolutely. It's a growing trend. And, And let's call it a European trend for starters. Remember now the Bundesbank they didn't really want to repatriate their gold. They were they dragged their feet. They told the people why it was why they really shouldn't do it. But the political pressure from the people of Germany was strong enough that they said, "Okay, we'll take some back." You know, wasn't wasn't all of their gold that's that's held overseas. It was a tiny amount, um, and of that tiny amount, only 300 tons was supposed to come out of the New York Fed. A full year passes. They managed to get only five tons out. And this is where we knew that something was wrong with the story because the Bundesbank came out and said, oh, that was, you know, it's really tricky to move gold. And by the way, the bars weren't exactly in the, the format that we wanted. So the refiners were full. They gave all these excuses. And, uh, and the excuses were, were less than satisfying because, as you mentioned, the Dutch managed to get 
127 of their tons back uh, within two or three months, right? They, they moved like a, uh, a relatively gigantic amount, had no problems doing it, off it went. And, and so there's a big contrast between these two stories. We know that, that something's not quite right in the German story, and they're not being honest with us about what those true reasons actually are for the slow repatriation. And then we see France. You've got uh, this uh, allegedly far-right uh, political uh, candidate out there, Le Pen, uh, wrote a letter to the central bank saying, I want to see all of our gold come back into France. And, and, uh, and so this is a general theme we're seeing where the people of Europe are starting to say, you know, all things being equal, why don't we just have our gold here? And the central bankers are giving all sorts of crazy, crazy sort of stories about why that would be a bad idea, how hard it's going to be. And none of those ideas actually make any sense. Consider that the Swiss National Bank had two main reasons that they gave, and one of them was, we like to have our gold in liquid form in major gold trading centers. And they said, because consider where their gold actually is, one of those major trading centers is Ottawa, okay? Nothing against Ottawa, but, but when, when Switzerland says Ottawa is a major gold trading center compared to, say, Zurich, you just have to laugh. It, it just doesn't, it, it, that excuse doesn't even begin to hold water, and yet they, they hold it out. Now, likewise, also this week, uh, something I think everyone found very interesting, if you want to call it interesting, we had a surprise surge in gold prices this week of around 22%. Gold prices went up as much as $270 to 1465 but it turned out to be a computer glitch. I'm throwing up air quotes right now. So clearly, technology has its inherent benefits and its inherent problems. But does it show, Chris, how easy it would be for manipulators to manipulate the price of precious metals? And it's, let's be clear, it's not just precious metals. It's all the markets are actually technically broken at this point, broken in the sense that people who have direct computer tie-in feeds can move prices. So when, when we say manipulate, let me be clear about what I mean. That means somebody moving the price in such a way as to uh, have an unfair advantage over what happens next. So that could be up, it could be down. And when you can dump tens of thousands of quotes onto a single, into a market in a couple of milliseconds, a couple of thousandths of a second, in a fraction of the time it takes to literally blink your eye, which is a full 50 milliseconds, right? They can dump thousands of orders on and completely destroy either the bid stack or the ask stack. That's the, the, the cluster of quote price quotes where people want to buy or sell around the existing price. Somebody can come in and just destroy that. And I've, we've seen this happen over and over again. So back to precious metals. We've seen this happen with gold, usually in the thinly traded overnight markets. You know, it's 12 o'clock at night. It's 1 in the morning. It's 2 in the morning. And all of a sudden, you'll see where normal volume will be 20, 30, 40 contracts in a, in a one-minute window. Um, you might see three or 4,000. And that completely moves the price from point A to point B. It's not somebody seeking good price discovery, you know, like I wanted to sell or buy a lot of gold in the thin overnight markets, and I decided to do it all in 50 milliseconds or less, uh, a blink of an eye. What we're seeing is purely, obviously, manipulation. People, somebody moving prices around for their own benefit. It couldn't be more obvious. It fits every definition of manipulation. There's been literally zero public investigation of that by the authorities. So when we see something like that sudden move, that's the equivalent of a flash crash, what we saw on Tuesday. You know, when, you, when gold is suddenly jumping from, I think it went from maybe 1190 or so to 1460 or higher all at once, that's just a broken market. And, and this tells us that these markets are unsafe, they're unsound. It's why I counsel people all the time, you have to have physical gold, physical silver, even physical cash in some cases, because when these markets break, and they will at some point, 
it'll be so violent, so sudden, there'll be absolutely no chance to get away from that. So imagine if you were short gold at that moment and that, and that price stuck. It went from 1190 to 1460 and that's the new price. The margin call that would come for you would be extraordinary. The losses you would have would be extraordinary. Your chance to have gotten out of that would have been, had to have been measured in seconds. So if you're an ordinary person, an ordinary trader, and you are not tied in by fiber optics with a computer algorithm that's constantly seeking uh, you know, a relative advantage, you're, you're, just, you're SOL. There's just nothing you can do. And I think that'll happen in both directions. It just shows the extent to which this market's broken. And by the way, we've been seeing this behavior over and over and over again. And in particular, we've been seeing it in the precious metals mostly to the downside. I'm a little surprised we saw this one to the upside because usually the pressure is to the downside. And that tells me that somebody with really deep pockets is able to come in, move the price, move it with confidence that the new price is going to stick. It takes incredibly deep pockets to be able to do that. And uh, Let me check. Who's, who's got pockets that deep? I have a list here. Oh, the Federal Reserve. That's the only, that's the only organization I know that, that's got pockets that deep, or their proxies, right? Uh, you know, the, the main uh, bulge bracket firms and, and, uh, and other uh, key players that the Fed uh, participates with every day. So, yeah, you look at that, that flash uh, crash or flash crash upwards in this case for gold, but gosh, we see this across all markets now. They're broken. The regulators are looking the other way, and this is why ordinary people really shouldn't be playing in these markets if they can help it. Interestingly enough, Chris, what I find happening now is that there seems to be a few regulators who are looking into things. I mean, there seems to be a growing number of banks who are being sued or charged for various forms of market manipulation from Forex you know, all the way to precious metals. You know, the Bank of England uh, seems to be kind of leading the way um, as far as looking for mandatory jail time for offenders. But I mean, in the end, do you think this will have an effect on the financial market manipulation or are bank profits just too large for these consequences to serve as an effective deterrent? Yes, regulators are starting to to bite a little bit. They're all European at this point. There's been, let, let's, let's be clear, the center of the rottenness story is in the United States. The United States markets are the most broken at this point in time with the least amount of regulatory oversight. So yes, we've seen uh, Deutsche Bank, UBS, uh, you name it. All these, all these firms have been dinged with everything from Forex manipulation to precious metals manipulation to interest rate or LIBOR manipulation. Uh, these are really big crimes. Nearly all of them have only faced uh, what we would call a civil penalty, meaning a, a, a monetary fine. There have been a couple of very minor criminal actions going on over in Europe. Almost none of that happening in the United States. Um, and yes, the United States has had a couple of big regulatory pieces, but it was, it was to ding European banks uh, one after the other, right? So, right, right. Um, you know, so that's what, that's what the United States was interested in doing. So for now, the United States is not regulating itself. It's only interested in, in maybe lashing out at some foreign banks over, I don't know, Iranian sanction busting and stuff like that. But what we're seeing is, uh, is until and unless I see that there's real jail time for the people involved, and I don't mean like the low trader on the totem pole. I mean, you want to see CEOs, CFOs, uh, the C-level people, you see those people starting to go to jail for these crimes, then I think we would see a, a, a meaningful change. But until then, what's happening, the banks are getting fines that I estimate are a fraction of the total gain that they took 
from the actual criminal activity. So if you told me I could rob as many banks as I wanted in my town, and if I got caught, I'd have to give back 10% of what I took from those banks, I'd be robbing banks all, every day, all day. And, and that's really the, still the situation I see with the, with the big banks. Excellent. Very well said, Chris. Well, Chris, we'd like to thank you for joining us this week here on the Weekly Wrap-Up, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you in the weeks to come as well. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. And we urge our listeners to go to peakprosperity.com to hear more of Chris's thoughts on the markets. For the weekly wrap-up here on Sprawmany News, this is Jeff Rutherford. Have a great weekend. 